You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. DYUP Super Kaubani. Earth, water, wind, fire, heart. This is Earth Hour. This is World Without End. Hello friends, ladies and gentlemen. This is World Without End news, views, and interviews about our environment. Today is Thursday, the 24th of October. I am Jason Bagia, your host for today, and these are the headlines. In local news, the Environment Department is set to clear the release of funds for tree planting. In Cebu City, public has been urged to report to authorities people who collect fossilized giant clams. In Cebu, as well, meat items in some fast food stores are no longer available. The Bureau of Fisheries and Aquatic Resources has seized 36 million pesos worth of giant clams in a raid. The Cebu City Council has approved the purchase of anti-rabies vaccines. In Cebu Province, the Provincial Board has declared a traffic crisis in Cebu. In national news, health workers warned that the Philippines is in the middle of a health crisis. In Mindanao, five have died after an earthquake. The health department is calling for the monitoring of vape cases. The UNICEF has stated that the Philippines is losing 232 billion pesos yearly to malnutrition. Gold mining has been suspended in Nueva Vizcaya. For international headlines, satellites will start monitoring whale strandings from space. In the United Kingdom, the Prime Minister is set to chair a new climate change committee. In New Delhi, the world's most polluted city, 40,000 marathoners are preparing to compete. Johnson & Johnson has recalled baby powder due to asbestos concerns. An activist climbs the Big Ben to protest extinction of species. Those are the headlines and these are the stories. Sunsar has reported the Department of Environment and Natural Resources is set to approve the release of funds to replace trees. The Department of Environment and Natural Resources Central Visayas aims to plant 399,100 replacement seedlings in the National Greening Program across Cebu Province. However, the release of the funds for the project has yet to be cleared by the Central Office in Manila. Regional Director Assistant Eduardo Inting said without a written policy from the head office, they could not yet start with a five-year tree replacement program. They entered into this project with the Department of Public Works and Highways in Central Visayas. Insing said, although there is now a memorandum from the director of the Forest Management Bureau allowing us to use that, we really had to clarify with the central office. 
in hopes to deliver their road projects on time, the Department of Public Works and Highways signed a memorandum of agreement with the Department of Environment and Natural Resources and committed to comply with the latter's policy to plant the required number of trees to replace those that were cut during the DPWH road construction. More about this story from sunstar.com.ph The Bureau of Fisheries and Aquatic Resources in Central Visayas has appealed to the public to report to the authorities those who are in possession of fossilized giant clams. Central Visayas Director Alfio Piloton urged the public to alert law enforcers or the Bureau in case they catch someone collecting, possessing, or selling fossilized giant clams, an act strictly prohibited under existing laws. On October 16, the Bureau joined an operation conducted by the National Bureau of Investigation and the Philippine Air Force to intercept two persons from Cordoba town for allegedly possessing fossilized giant clams. The authorities served warrants of arrest against the two targets, one from Barangay Katarman and the other from Barangay Dayas. More on this story from sunstar.com.ph Fast food stores are having a hard time serving meat items. Sunstar reports that fast food meal items with meat are not being offered because of a lack of supply due to the pork ban to prevent the spread in Cebu of the African swine fever. The manager of a Chinese food joint in one of the malls told Sunstar Cebu they have been explaining to customers why their fried rice, soup, and shopao or dumplings have not been available since the end of September. The manager said, we told them it's because of the ban. Our supplier is from Luzon and we're still waiting for a memorandum thereon when the supply will resume. Another manager, this time of a pizza place, also said they are not offering pizza with ham and bacon anymore because they don't have supply. The manager does not know when the next supply will come. She said right now the feedback will be coming from Manila. All our ingredients come from Manila. More on the story from sunstar.com.ph The Cebu City Council approved the purchase of 8,000 vials of anti-rabies vaccines amounting to 4.4 million pesos to be charged against the Philippine Amusement and Gaming Corporation funds, the Freeman Cebu reports. The Cebu City government, through the help of the Department of Veterinary Medicine and Fisheries, has been regularly conducting an intensive massive vaccination campaign to control the animal rabies cases in the city. Free vaccinations for dog owners are conducted by the DVMF in urban and rural places, and they also provide information, education campaigns, and consultations for all pet owners. Under city ordinance, pet owners are required to have their pets vaccinated, else they would have to face a fine of 2,000 pesos. Based on the DDMF records, they have already administered 32,862 vaccinations since January 2019, with an average of 4,100 vaccinations per month. To read this story, go to philstar.com on the Freeman section. In Cebu province, the Cebu Provincial Board has declared a traffic crisis. With the declaration, 
Provincial Board Member Glenn Anthony Sokol of the 6th District of Cebu is urging Congress to identify measures that will address the congestion problems here. In a report by Cebu Daily News, Sokol is quoted as saying that he is proposing for government to partner with the private sector in implementing projects to address Cebu's congestion problems. Soho said the nature and magnitude of traffic and congestion in the thoroughfares is even to be considered a public calamity. Its effects are catastrophic and terrible. It must be considered a crisis of national significance. Soko delivered a privileged speech during the provincial board session held on October 14 to raise a concern on Cebu's worsening traffic conditions. More on the story on cebudailynews.inquirer.net World Without End returns after these reminders with National News. How to Prevent Soil Erosion Erosion is the loss of soil. As soil erodes, it loses nutrients, clogs rivers with dirt, and eventually turns the area into a desert. Although erosion happens naturally, human activities can make it much worse. How do we prevent soil erosion? First, plant grass and shrubs. Second, add mulch or rocks. Third, use mulch matting to hold vegetation on slopes. Fourth, put down filed fiber logs. Fifth, build retaining walls. Sixth, improve drainage. Seven, reduce watering if possible. Eighth, avoid soil compaction. This message is brought to you by Andrew Carberry on WikiHow together with DYUP Sugbo Kaubanimo. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. DYUP Subo Kaubanimo. Earth, water, wind, fire, heart. This is Earth Hour. This is World Without End. We're back on World Without End, and these are the stories from across the country. In Manila, health workers have warned that the government's health programs are bound to falter if it fails to address the health crisis besetting the country. According to a report by the Philippine Daily Inquirer, in addition to outbreaks of infectious diseases, the group said the health sector remains grossly underfunded, with hospitals still understaffed and personnel still underpaid. Maristela Abenohar, president of the Filipino Nurses United, said that one of the culprits is the onerous practice of contractualization, especially in government hospitals. Nurses are no longer willing to work in the country's hospitals because aside from being unprotected by law, they are also overworked and underpaid. Quoting a study done by the Philippine Nurses Association in 2017, 
Adenohar said there are 31,396 nurses working in 800 public hospitals, 35,365 in 1,172 private hospitals, and 23,547 in community health centers. She noted, though, that majority of registered nurses are either abroad, around 150,000 of them, or working in other industries such as call centers, roughly 30,000 nurses. More on this story from Inquirer.net. In Mindanao, five have died following an earthquake. In Davao City, a baby, a toddler, and a seven-year-old were among at least five people who lost their lives to a 6.3 magnitude quake that shattered walls of buildings, left cracks on the ground, and created panic in a large part of Mindanao midweek last week. A fire that started shortly after the quake raised a shopping mall in General Santos City. The quake, a shallow tumbler of tectonic origin, struck around 7.37 p.m. with a depth of focus of only 8 kilometers. Government volcanologists placed the epicenter at Tulunan, Cotabato province. On Thursday, a 5.2 magnitude tumbler was also recorded east of Manai Town, Davao Oriental province around 4.53 a.m. It was also tectonic in origin. It was not related to the previous tumbler, according to the Philippine Institute of Volcanology and Seismology, or FIVOCS. President Rodrigo Duterte has directed concerned government agencies to provide immediate assistance to people affected by the earthquake. More on this story from Inquirer.net. The Health Department has called for monitoring of sicknesses related to vaping. The Department of Health on Thursday called on medical practitioners to be vigilant in identifying risks not only of tobacco use, but also the use of vapes or electronic cigarettes when recording patients' medical histories. Health Secretary Francisco Duque III, in a press briefing on Thursday, said this would allow existing health information systems to capture data on vaping-related disorders. He said information and the potential harm of novel and emerging nicotine products can guide future policy directions for electronic cigarettes. Duque's call was in response to efforts by the World Health Organization, which has introduced International Classification of Diseases 10, code U07.0, an international tool for classifying and monitoring diseases to be used immediately for reporting of acutely ill patients who have used electronic cigarettes in the last 90 days with no other plausible causes for illness. This developed following an increase in vaping-related illnesses in the United States as reported in recent months, mostly affecting otherwise healthy young people. More on this story from Inquirer.net. The United Nations said the Philippines is losing 232 billion pesos or 4.5 billion US dollars each year due to malnutrition. The report from the Inquirer states that this is partly driven by the increasing availability of processed food, especially to poor families, according to estimates by the United Nations Children's Fund. In its 2019 State of the World's Children Report, 
UNICEF said that as urban populations grew and food systems became highly globalized, people's access to processed food also increased. While more children are surviving today, far too few are thriving since the food they consume are low in essential nutrients, the report stated. As a result, one out of three kids below five years old in the Philippines is stunted or too short for his or her age, according to UNICEF. Dr. Rene Galera, a UNICEF nutrition specialist, pointed out that because of undernourishment, children suffered from long-term developmental delays. These include performing poorly in school and getting sick often, which burdens the public health system. More on the story from TheInquirer.net In Nueva Vizcaya, an environmental group has challenged the administration to return the lands of indigenous peoples after Oceana Gold Corporation suspended production at its gold and copper mine. Calicasan People's Network for the Environment called the suspension a hard-fought victory for the residents. The group said, We challenge the Duterte administration to follow suit by rejecting Oceana Gold's contract renewal with finality and returning the mineralized lands to the indigenous communities who rightfully own the land. Dulce said the lapse of Oceana Gold's financial or technical assistance agreement in June meant that the tenement area should have been returned to the government, which he said is obliged to return the land to the indigenous Tuali Ifugao communities. Oceana Gold cut its full-year output guidance to 460,000 to 480,000 ounces of gold and 10,000 to 11,000 tons of copper and assumed no further production or sales for the remainder of the year at Lipidio. It had sought renewal of its 25-year operating license for Lipidio last year, but the local government once the mine shut down due to environmental concerns. More on this story from inquirer.net. World Without End returns after these reminders with news from around the world. Hi! I so love picnics na talaga! You know, kapag you're BS Org, you literally have no time to chill or make lande. Uy, Gina! Before ka maglandit-landit dira, tabangi sa miyugi po sa gikan anato. But ate... I'm enjoying one here, sun bathing. Ayaw pag tinapulan diha, tabangin mo yung limpyo dili. Gosh ate, fine. Hoy Gina, dili dira. Wala ka kita nga biodegradable na? Unya imong gigunitan kay plastic bottle? Atong landfills kay nagkadaletsa-letsa na tungod sa mga people like you na dili ka balo mag-segregate o mutar ang og labels. Wala na nag-love. Kung take na iyang label, ayaw na pugsa mo sulunan ang relationship. Kay girl, makasakit pa ka, makagubot pa ka. Whatever. But duh. Kakakoy ba? Nga mag-throw na ng gani ko sa akong garbage, ako pa i-use akong frontal lobe. So yun naman dyan na. Just remember, biodegradable, which means mga butang nga dali na mabulok. Murag akong ex, yung feelings na ako, dali na na daw itong nawala. Non-biodegradable, mga things that cannot be broken down easily by natural organisms. Murag akong feelings para niya, dugay mamatay kay love gihapon na ako siya. And recyclable, mga waste materials that can be turned into new materials and objects. Like, itong girl na niirog niya. Trash na nga, plastic pa. See? So easy, diba? OMG, friend, you're right. And so, Luoy, you wanna hug? 
Not only does improper waste management significantly harm our marine resources and wildlife, it is also one of the main causes of soil, water, and air pollution. Don't forget to segregate your trash and put them in their designated trash bin. Remember, big things come from small beginnings and our actions can make the biggest difference. A friendly reminder from DYUP Subo, Kaubanin. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. DYUP Subo, Kaubanin. Earth, water, wind, fire, heart. This is Earth Hour. This is World Without End. We're back on World Without End. News, views, and interviews about our environment. We turn now to news stories from around the world. Scientists have developed a way to monitor whales from outer space. The carcasses of 343 sea whales were spotted on remote beaches in Patagonia, Chile in 2015, but the survey work was conducted from planes and boats and carried out many weeks after the deaths actually occurred. However, an analysis of high-resolution satellite images of the area taken much closer in time to the stranding has now identified many more bodies. It is difficult to give a precise total for the number of whales involved, but in one sample picture examined by researchers, the count was nearly double, says a report by the British Broadcasting Corporation. The new investigation, published in the PLOS One journal, was undertaken as a proof-of-principle exercise by the British Antarctic Survey and various Chilean organizations. It is not easy to see an object, even one as large as a great whale, from several hundred kilometers up in space. But the international team believes the capability of modern satellites now makes this a practical task. Being able to detect strandings more effectively will inform the ongoing conservation of whales. It will also flag potential deteriorating ocean conditions, something that the fishing industry, for example, will be keen to know about. The monitoring of whales from orbit is set, therefore, to become a powerful tool with which to assess the state of the environment. Dr. Carlos Olavaria from the Center for Advanced Studies in Arid Zones, La Serena, Chile, said the technology is getting better all the time. More on this story from the Science and Environment section of BBC.com. In the United Kingdom, the Prime Minister is set to chair a new cabinet committee on climate change to drive action to cut emissions across the government. This follows long-standing criticism that some departments, especially transport, have failed to play their part in combating global heating. The BBC reports, This sort of top-level coordination is what green groups have been urging, but they're still critical of other policy details. Greenpeace, for instance, says it has spotted a huge loophole in the environment bill introduced this week. It aims to improve air and water quality, tackle plastic pollution, and restore nature once the UK leaves the European Union's environmental laws. A new regulator is being given powers to take the government to court if it fails to meet agreed green targets. 
but Greenpeace lawyers pointed out that the date for settling those targets is the 31st of October 2022, and the government will then have 15 years to meet the goals. This means no legal action can be taken against ministers on any potential failings in water, plastic, waste, or nature restoration until 2037 at the earliest. The bill does give the government power to set interim targets for the four environmental areas, but they would be legally binding. More on this story from the UK politics section at bbc.com. In New Delhi, more than 40,000 marathoners prepared to compete two Sundays ago in the Indian capital where air pollution has reached dangerous levels. Images of the city in the last week show it blanketed in a thick yellow smog, some buildings barely visible through the haze. The Air Quality Index, which ranks pollution on a scale of 0 to 500, reached 227 on Friday, classed as very unhealthy, according to CNN. This score reflects the concentration of fine particle matter known as PM2.5 per cubic meter. According to the World Health Organization, an acceptable air quality index score for humans to breathe regularly is 25. Unsurprisingly, running in this environment can be dangerous. Microscopic pollutants like PM2.5, which are smaller than 2.5 micrometers in diameter, can enter deep into a person's lungs and bloodstream, increasing risk of respiratory problems, cancer, stroke, and heart attack. Physical exercise can increase the amount of pollutants breathed in by up to five times. But still, a record high of 40,633 people were planning to run the Airtel Delhi Half Marathon, which includes other categories like a 10-kilometer race and a senior citizen's race. All the races were to start and end at the Jawaharlal Nehru Stadium in the south of the city, following different loot routes. More about this story from CNN.com. Johnson & Johnson has recalled baby powder due to asbestos concerns. Johnson & Johnson announced last Friday that it's initiating a voluntary recall in the United States of its popular Johnson's baby powder due to low levels of asbestos contamination. The recall, which is limited to one lot of baby powder bottles produced and shipped in the United States last year, comes in response to a U.S. Food and Drug Administration test that found levels of chrysotile asbestos contamination in samples from a bottle purchased online, according to the company. Acting FDA Commissioner Dr. Ned Sharpless said in a statement Friday, I understand today's recall may be concerning to all those individuals who have used the affected lot of baby powder. He said, I want to assure everyone that the agency takes these concerns seriously and that we are committed to our mandate of protecting the public health. Sharpless said, the FDA continues to test cosmetic products that contain talc for the presence of asbestos to protect Americans from potential health risks. People with a bottle of Johnson's baby powder from lot number 22318RB, which includes 33,000 bottles, are advised to discontinue using the product and can contact the company for a refund. 
More about this story from CNN.com. CNN reports that a climate protester from the global environmental movement Extinction Rebellion has climbed scaffolding around the base of one of Britain's most famous landmarks, the Big Ben Clock Tower of the Houses of Parliament. Videos shared on social media show the protester unfurling banners reading No Pride on a Dead Planet and Citizens' Assembly once on top of the scaffolding. The man was reportedly wearing a costume and a blonde wig resembling Prime Minister Boris Johnson's distinctive hairstyle. A group said in a statement that tree surgeon Ben Atkinson, 43, has begun a free solo climb of Big Ben and will drop an Extinction Rebellion banner to highlight government inaction on the climate and ecological emergency. London's Metropolitan Police said police were called at 15.33 hours on Friday, 18th of October, two reports of a man climbing scaffolding surrounding Big Ben. Officers remain on scene. The activist group has defied a London-wide public order ban issued on Monday by staging protests outside Downing Street and blocking the busy Oxford Circus intersection with a wooden pyramid. The Metropolitan Police said the crackdown was intended to prevent ongoing serious disruption to the community. More about this story from CNN.com. And those are the stories from around the world. World Without End returns after these reminders with its philosophy segment. So how do you save water? There are many ways. Next to air, water is the most important element for the preservation of life. Water is a finite commodity which, if not managed properly, will result in shortages in the near future. Water conservation can go a long way to help alleviate these impending shortages. Check your toilet for leaks. Stop using your toilet as an ashtray or wastebasket. Take shorter showers. Install water-saving shower heads or flow restrictors. Take baths. Turn off the water while brushing your teeth. Turn off the water while shaving. Check faucets and pipes for leaks. Use your automatic dishwasher for full loads only. Use your automatic washing machine only for full loads. Don't let the faucet run while you clean vegetables. Keep a bottle of drinking water in the refrigerator. If you wash dishes by hand, don't leave the water running for rinsing. Check faucets and pipes for leaks. Water your lawn only when it's needed. This message is brought to you by Volusia County, Florida, here on DYUP Subo, Kauban Nimo. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. DYUP Subo. Kaubanimo. Earth, water, wind, fire, heart. This is Earth Hour. This is World Without End.
We're back on World Without End. This is Jason Bagia, and I am in studio with Manel Lumawag, Vanessa Fehe, Raya Hapson, De Suarez, and Sophia Olvis. We're now in our philosophy segment where we examine the thoughts of many thinkers, of many varied thinkers about our global environment. Back in November 1997, the head of the Global Orthodox Church, or the Patriarch, uh, who is based in Constantinople, was invited to an environmental symposium at the St. Barbara Greek Orthodox Church in California. He delivered a speech on theology and the environment on behalf of the Orthodox Churches. We will read some excerpts from that speech. Our beloved brother in Christ, Archbishop Spiridon of America, our beloved brother in Christ, Bishop Anthony of San Francisco, the Honorable Secretary of the Interior, Mr. Bruce Babbitt, distinguished scholars, learned guests, beloved friends and children in the Lord. It is with deep joy that we greet all of you, the Honorable Delegates and Attendees, at this blessed symposium on the sacredness of the environment. Here in this historical city of Santa Barbara, we see before us a brilliant example of the wonder of God's creation. Recently, that God-given beauty was threatened by an oil spill. We are proud that the effort to restore the damaged beauty of Santa Barbara seas was led by Orthodox Christians Dan and Candy Randopoulos. The ecumenical throne of Orthodoxy as a preserver and herald of the ancient patristic tradition and of the rich liturgical experience of our Orthodox Church today renews its long-standing commitment to healing the environment. We have followed with great interest and sincere concern the efforts to curb the destructive effects that human beings have wrought upon the natural world. We view with alarm the dangerous consequences of humanity's disregard for the survival of God's creation. It is for this reason that our predecessor, the late Patriarch Demetrios of blessed memory, invited the world to offer the great Church of Christ prayers of thanksgiving and supplications for the protection of the natural environment. Since 1989, every September the 1st, the beginning of the ecclesiastical calendar has been designated as a feast day of prayer for the protection of the environment throughout the Orthodox world. Since that time, the Ecumenical Throne has organized an inter-Orthodox conference in Crete in 1991 and convened annual ecological seminars at the historic Monastery of the Holy Trinity on Halki as a way of discerning the spiritual roots and principles of the ecological crisis. In 1995, we sponsored a symposium sailing to the Aegean to the island of Patmos. The symposium on Revelation and the environment, 1895-1995, commemorated the 1900th anniversary of the recording of the Apocalypse. We have recently convened a transnational conference on the Black Sea ecological crisis that included participation of all the nations that border the sea. In these and other programs, we have sought to discover the measures that may be implemented by Orthodox Christians worldwide as leaders desiring to contribute to the solution of this global problem. 
we believe that through our particular and unique liturgical and ascetic ethos, Orthodox spirituality may provide significant moral and ethical direction toward a new generation of awareness about the planet. We believe that Orthodox liturgy and life hold tangible answers to the ultimate questions concerning salvation from corruptibility and death. The Eucharist is at the very center of our worship, and our sin toward the world, or the spiritual root of all our pollution, lies in our refusal to view life in the world as a sacrament of thanksgiving and as a gift of constant communion with God on a global scale. We envision a new awareness that is not merely philosophical posturing, but a tangible experience of a mystical nature. We believe that our first task is to raise the consciousness of adults who most use the resources and gifts of the planet. Ultimately, it is for our children that we must perceive our every action in the world as having a direct effect upon the future of our environment. At the heart of the relationship between man and environment is the relationship between human beings. As individuals, we live not only in vertical relationships to God and horizontal relationships to one another, but also in a complex web of relationships that extend throughout our lives, our cultures, and the material world. Human beings and the environment form a seamless garment of existence, a complex fabric that we believe is fashioned by God. That was taken from the speech of His All Holiness Ecumenical Patriarch Bartholomew to the Santa Barbara Greek Orthodox Church Environmental Symposium on November 8, back in time in 1997. World Without End returns after these reminders. How can you reduce air pollution? Follow these tips every day to reduce pollution. Conserve energy at home, at work, and everywhere. Look for the Energy Star label when buying home or office equipment. Carpool. Use public transportation, bike, or walk whenever possible. Follow gasoline refueling instructions for efficient vapor recovery. Being careful not to spill fuel and always tightening your gas cap securely. Consider purchasing portable gasoline containers labeled spillproof where available. Keep your car, boat, and other engines properly tuned. Be sure your tires are properly inflated. Use environmentally safe paints and cleaning products wherever possible. Mulch or compost leaves and yard waste. Combine errands and reduce trips. Walk to errands when possible. Avoid excessive idling of your automobile. Refuel your car in the evening when it is cooler. Conserve electricity and set air conditioners no lower than 78 degrees Fahrenheit. Defer lawn and gardening shores that use gasoline-powered equipment or wait until evening. This message is brought to you by EPA New England right here on DYUP Subo, Kauban Nimo. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. DYUP Subo, Kauban
earth, water, wind, fire, heart. This is Earth Hour. This is World Without End. We're back on World Without End news, views, and interviews about our environment. This is Jason Bagya with uh, Manel Lumawag in the studio, and together with Cell Suarez, Vanessa Fehe, Raya Hapson, and Sophia Olvis for our technicals and our marketing. Today is another Thursday, and we're going to interview an expert about <laughs> malnutrition. <laughs> So, uh, we listened to the news report earlier today, which stated that the Philippines is losing 232 billion pesos to malnutrition every year. That's about 4.5 billion U.S. dollars. So, to talk more about malnutrition in a local context, we have with us our alumnus from the UP Political Science Program. Shane Connor William Hines, uh, who has written his thesis together with his thesis mates about the politics of malnutrition. Good afternoon, William. Good Welcome to the show. Good afternoon, Sir Jason. Um, calling me an expert is a bit of an overstatement, but I'm flattered. Thank you. <laughs> And um, yeah, my my view on malnutrition is more, I would say, less departed from the environment and health side more fo focused on the political nature and how politics is actually a bigger part in the contributing factor of malnutrition especially with what you said the huge budget deficit um that's a 234 billion pesos and um my study would hopefully um show to you that what are the reasons and causes of these why we have such big deficits and a big gap in our malnutrition, especially in the local sense, in Cebu City and Lapu-Lapu. Uh, tell us um, what got you first into um, malnutrition research. Um, so basically, when I was coming up with my thesis, um, with my thesis mates, I, I wanted to do a subject that I was passionate about, not just any subject just to pass or anything. And one thing that always caught me was something about food security. And um, since my dad was a chef also, and... I, I realized how important it was for children to be fed and not only fed anything, but fed properly and food that tastes delicious. And so I also noticed a lot as I walk around the streets of Cebu and Lapu-Lapu that um, there are really many children out there who look, who look like they, they need food or that they're in a tough predicament, especially in the case of nutrition. And I just brought it up to my thesis mates, hey, why don't we... I think there is not much studies in the local aspects and especially in local governments regarding malnutrition and how important they are, and especially in Cebu City and Lapu-Lapu City. So I recommended it, and it just took off from there. And it was, it was, I would say it was pretty good. Yeah. So mainly, what 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 were what were the, the what was your line? What were your lines of questioning? What were the questions yeah. that you tried to answer? So basically, what we asked, what we wondered was first, we wanted to see how. What are the identified factors in each local government unit? So how would the government identify malnutrition? Is it coherent? Is it the same with the, that of the UN factors? Is it that of their own? They made their own? We wanted to see how they identified it. Next, we wanted to see how responsive were they to such identified factors. So if they identified, let's say, for example, feeding is the biggest problem, how did they respond to feeding? Was it 
oh, we'll just give money, we'll need um, supplies for just making the food, or will we do day-to-day -day feeding, or will we do monthly feeding? It depends, like, just an example. That's how we want to see how they were responsive to such. And lastly, we wanted to see the effectiveness of these programs and policies that they responded to. So what did they do to it? And we, we gauged it using different theories and um, tables on assessing how effective these um, malnutrition programs and policies were so by looking at results that happened before and after the um, implementation of such program and policy. I see. So what um, uh, localities did you ex examine? Uh, we focused mainly in Cebu City and Lapu-Lapu City. For Lapu-Lapu, we, due to the, you know, the time constraints and nature of college life, we would say, um, <laughs> We, we only took a few barangays, but we could also, we could have generated the consensus from it because um, we also asked other barangays, but we had five major barangays and they were the biggest and um, I would say most impactful barangays. Mm -hmm. uh, they were barangays Look, Gunob, Basak, Marigondon, and Pahak. Mm -hmm. That's for Lapu-Lapu. In Cebu City, we took barangays Inayawan, Mambaling, Sawangkalero, Ermita, and Tibadilla. And um, we could really see, we chose these barangays based on not just the impact, but also the economic status, the geographical location and how it contributes to malnutrition. And also, basically, we, we thought it fit that these barangays would make it because we, as you would see, as I will explain later, on the how each barangay is so different from each other and how the results were varying, especially from each city to one, from one city to another, rather. So what were your uh, what were your findings? What what did you um, discover? So what we did the the main finding is this that there is a clear structural discrepancy I would say or structural problem that is incorporated mainly that is present in Cebu City and Lapu Lapu City on the other hand is a they're 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 a tale of two different stories they're on the different ends of the spectrum I would say Cebu City's malnutrition situation is horrific it is at an all-time low it is the the numbers are only getting higher and um there are many factors to this which i will discuss later and lapu-lapu city on the other hand specifically if i'm not mistaken it was barangay pahak that is a uh, ranked number one mm. in the visayas with only four malnourished children in the whole barangay i was really shocked from that because if you go to Cebu City, there, the numbers are hundreds and thousands of um, children who are malnourished. And and just knowing that on the other side of the bridge, literally, it's another story. So we found that this um, this was really rooted in, um, so I would say, it's political in nature and political problems contributed a lot to these problems. Because, let's give it a context here. Um if I may add, uh, sir, to my to the framework we had, which was nutritional governance, mm -hmm. it is important that the government, especially the local government, will prioritize the nutritional governance framework, where they will have nutrition sensitive, nutrition, nutrition sensitive, nutrition intervention, and um, capacity building, and other things for um, malnutrition inside their framework of government. If they do not have this, it will um, clearly show. And Cebu City. The difference between Cebu City and Lapu-Lapu is Cebu City does not prioritize nutritional governance. This means there's no funding, there's no support, there's no monitoring, there's no um, uh, intersectoral cooperation, vertical coordination with the government and the people. That's what it means. On the other hand, Lapu-Lapu is very, very adamant and very 
very strong in their stand for nutritional governance. The, the Department of Health there is very, they always do how many monitorings they do every month. They personally visit to each community and gather data. They have, their feeding is very strong and constant. They also have checkups and um, what do you call it? Prenatals for the mothers. Like it is, I would say, consistent, strong, and firm in their support for nutritional governance. Cebu City, on the other hand, is not. And one of the biggest reasons is political, I would say political, political problems. Right. Yes. If going back a little, um, so what, uh, what is the functional definition of malnutrition? Have you seen any similarities in, yeah. in the city's, uh, uh, in the city's definitions of malnutrition or um, are, are they totally different? And, and perhaps could this be also a factor in um, the way, uh, in, uh, could, these, could these also be reasons for the differences in the way they address the same problem? Uh, yes. Um, for, uh, for, our, for our research, for our thesis, we used that we, in our literature, we used uh, the UN's definition of malnutrition. And the thing here was, when you go to the city of Lapu-Lapu and you go to the Department of Health and such places, you would see that they have like this, how would I say it, nutritional table or like a tree. Mm-hmm. A tree which they, they patterned it with um, that of the UN. The nutrition specific, nutrition sensitive um, programs, and so and such, and you could see that it's clear on what they want to do and how they want to do it. And if you go to Cebu City, they try to. I would, I would say that our findings showed that yes, they had a sort of um, how would I say this? A sort of uh, a structure to it and how they patterned it a bit like the UN and the nutrition specific, nutrition sensitive programs. However, such programs, it was like such programs were not thoroughly implemented or enforced in um, in um, in their implementation of such of said programs. However, it is less clear and different from the um, from the um, Lapu Lapu. Because here's another good thing I forgot to mention is that in Lapu Lapu, when you go to each barangay and each department of health, their nutritional their nutritional tree. Their nutritional tree is very different from each barangay. It's as if the barangay, the barangay, purposely studies and um, they study each. There are people, scholars, who study each barangay and notices the weaknesses and improvements that need to be done for each barangay. So each nutritional tree you see will not be identically the same to another barangay's or that of the um, Department of Health. The Department of Health is like the the father. The where they will try to pattern it, but it will not be identical to each barangay. And it is because that each barangay has their own set of problems and own set of ways in dealing with it. And that's what I saw that was good is they had that trait of adaptability and that um, they were not just following like, oh, this is what the UN says, this is what we do. Because it's not always the case for malnutrition, especially in your barangay. So it was good that they were adaptive uh, Mm -hmm. for Lapu-Lapu City. Cebu City was less not so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 In, in the, indeed, it's good to to to, to adopt uh, or to use international benchmarks, yes. and um, I think all cities would in fact benefit from the rather comprehensive definition of malnutrition um, um, that has been given by the World Health Organization. And I'm just going to read it out now. Yes. I just looked it up. It basically refers to deficiencies. Malnutrition refers to deficiencies, excesses, or imbalances in a person's intake of energy and 
or nutrients. It covers two broad groups of conditions, one being undernutrition, which includes stunting, wasting, underweight, and micronutrient deficiencies or insufficiencies. The other is being overweight, <coughs> obesity, and diet-related non-communicable diseases such as heart disease, stroke, diabetes, and, um, and cancer. Uh, yes, um, that is, yes, sir, Bagia, that's right. And um, I would like to also clarify that our study mainly focused on only the one type, the undernutrition, mm -hmm. specifically stunted, wasted, mm -hmm. uh, because that is, um, I would say, more prevalent in um, the Philippines due to our climate, I would yeah, say. Yeah, and, and, and I agree. And due to climate, and as, as one of the reports that we had uh, mentioned earlier stated, it's also because of this uh, globalization which has resulted in changing diets, especially in yes. the cities, yeah. which uh, are now more exposed to instant food and perhaps mm -hmm. to the kind of food that we weren't so used to eating and which uh, were more nutritious um, in, in past generations. Now we just get instant food or microwavable food or processed food and although these do make people feel full to to in many ways um they they do not necessarily constitute the healthful diet that they need uh, to to grow well i i agree sir bagia that um this is also very clear in the barangay nutrition scholars as they try they not only feed them but they also educate the um the parents and the children on what to eat and they kept saying that to us especially when i attended their seminars that it is true that these nutritious uh, instant noodle food um microwavable foods events you know those really fast food things is a real i would definitely say it is a real detriment to the diet of the person and it we could see here in our study we saw that before the children uh went into the programs um, and the mothers um, when they were pregnant with their children before they went into programs you could clearly see that the children were either stunted or wasted, right? And once they were fed the proper food, you know, you know, that go grow food, um, the carbohydrates, the proteins, the vegetables, in a I would say calculated manner that it's not just, you know, here's a lot of food. No, it's not like that. What they do is they actually calculate how much each child needs. So each child's portions will be different from the um, from each other. This is specifically in Lapu-Lapu City. Also in Cebu, but it is more common and clear in Lapu-Lapu and um, yeah and then what they feed is I, I saw what they fed I also witnessed what they were cooking and the beauty about it is they're not only eating healthy food but they're also giving their parents specifically the mothers a job and you know Jude you know it's a very tough world out there and um, what the government does is they allow the they the ones who fund the the mothers the, the families rather the children who are malnourished and they will be the parents who will cook the dishes for their children so it was um it's i would say it's a, it goes both ways and um they're eating healthy and um yeah it's, it's good so why do you say why do you say it's different in cebu and um and and that um the factors that them um, that make it different are political what yeah. exactly in the polity needs to change so that yeah. for cebu city the, the problem of malnutrition is better addressed so the biggest problem in Cebu City, I would argue, is um, definitely political, as you said. And specifically, it has to do with the structure and priority of the said local government. And one, here, structure. As I mentioned a while ago, nutritional governance. If the local government does not prioritize nutritional governance, they will not request budget. They will not monitor. They will not request support. 
they would not bother on the problems prevailing in malnutrition. And the second is the political part where another, the other side of it is that these politicians, how would I say it? Because one of the needed things in nutritional governance is strong leadership. And these politicians um, in the specific barangays, um, they, um, they don't have that in that field if, in um, nutritional governance. And there was a specific barangay we went to, and I believe it was Barangay Ermita, where it was one of the worst and highest malnutrition rates in Central Visayas, if I am not mistaken. It is, um, the, there was a political emptiness there, I would say. The if I, the barangay leader, the barangay chair was um he was oust because of a, mm -hmm. a problem that he had. Uh, I forgot what it was. Maybe something to do with election. Then the next person who took over was also oust and had um he had a he had another problem basically, and he was no longer barangay chair. So what happened was there was a vacuum. There was an emptiness in that barangay, and the effects were clear. The numbers of malnutrition jumped jumped to a new level, and they were top five in Visayas. And, and then after that, we I asked the local people there, like, what's happening here? The feeding program stopped. The educational program stopped. The support stopped. And the reason was because nobody could sign the budget for, um, nobody could sign the budget for, um, for, uh, for the, for the budgetary plan. And I might say another thing here, which might jump the gun. However, what happened was this, before elections, uh, Mayor Esmania was the winning, was the, part, was the mayor. And then he had his own team for the nutrition and his, his whole cap, whatever it is. And then afterwards, when the next elections came, when Mayor um, Abelia won, the whole team of Mayor Esmania like disappeared. They all got left. And this included specifically that of the nutritional team that they had in the barangay. So each barangay, the nutritional scholars were replaced or not even replaced, were just ousted. And um, many of the, that, and lots of the funding was cut there. And that's why I think it's political in nature because if you were looking at it objectively, you would definitely say that, you know, every child deserves the right to have food, right? And has the shelter, the basic needs in life. Yeah, exactly. Um, so like uh, if you have... Um, nutritional workers yes. being appointed to work in a certain place um, they should these experts should be there doing the work and doing the job with some level of job stability such that if there's a new leader who comes in they shouldn't have to be <clears throat> under pressure to exit because they need to continue programs that they've begun or in fact are the are in the best possible place to evaluate how those programs can be improved under a new leadership Exactly. And what happened was all those people with the job stability, they lost their jobs and they lost their positions. And it was a complete overhaul in the structure of the local governments. Which would mean that um, then you have new people who might have some of the expertise but don't have the on-the-ground experience yes. to deal with very, very specific um, configurations of malnutrition um, in a way that can only be done if you if you spend a long time being exposed to that particular community. I agree. And um, I just want to point out that I personally thought that when I was conducting one of the interviews with the new mm -hmm. uh, nutrition scholar of the said branga, I, 
I don't want to be mean or anything, but the I would say that the nutrition scholar did not really know what was happening. And mm-hmm. she we asked her questions and she wouldn't even know the specific programs. She wouldn't know the policies. She wouldn't know the remedies. She wouldn't really know the, all the statistics. Like She was unprepared and she didn't know what was happening in her barangay. So I was like, and she was the one who, who came from the switch from the after the Osmania yeah. um, election when he lost. Yeah, and this is what happens when there is no continuity and there's no proper turnover. Yeah. So you just remove um, the, the previous administration, just removes their people, and then the new administration plans in their people who still have to perhaps uh, do another baseline research to just the, uh, get a hold of, of the environment and, 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 and be familiar with it. Yeah, I, I really agree. And this also, for me, this poses another interesting question for people that if you also now, if we look at Lapu-Lapu, the reason why their success was their previous mayor, uh, Mayor Koro, is it? she was... Um, Rodaza. Rodaza, Rodaza, yeah. Uh, she was um, very, very consistent and supportive in um, in uh, malnutrition and nutritional governance. And now that she recently... Um, there's a new mayor, and uh, I would I would really like to see the for future people at what will really happen to Lapu-Lapu, especially with this new member, if she will continue, as we said, that biggest problem there is really the continuity. Um, if she will continue, if the new mayor will continue, Mayor Paz's um, old programs and policies. Right. So uh, just as a last question, what does a local government need to, to have proper um, nutritional governance? Okay. So... The important thing in nutritional governance for me is, in the framework itself, is that there needs to be one, uh, vertical coordination and intersectoral cooperation. Malnutrition is not the work of the government alone. It is not the work of the people alone. It is the work of both of them working together. And one of the things is that there needs to be that strong leader, that strong leadership from the local government force. But they do that by prioritizing nutrition in its policies and programs. And the way they should implement it is, what I like is some use a grassroots approach where they um, they go to the fields and they go to each barangays and they in, they interview, they investigate, they gather data to see what is missing, what can be improved. And they use these data to make their nutritional programs to in favor of that, whatever they gather. And that's what Lapu-Lapu did so well and the results have shown us so well that the improvements that it has made and so with that, with that in mind, with that strong leadership, with that grassroots um, interviewing, gathering data, you will need constant support and monitoring. Support in budgetary sense and support in monitoring where it's not like you implement it and you just leave it. No. Malnutrition is not a walk in the park. It's not a one-day fix. It is a fix that takes constant monitoring and support. And the beauty about it was we could see it in Lapu-Lapu as they always have checks. They always check on their prog- programs, like every quarterly reports, if I'm not mistaken, and um, which is needed for every barangay. And I would definitely say that this is a more local government unit focus than national government focus. Because um, the way the government works is that the national government cannot tell what the local government can do. And so... If the, nation, if the local government does not prioritize this nutritional framework, there will be nothing done. Mm-hmm. And so it depends, as I said again, on the... And one of the... I would also add, one of the nutritional scholars also told me that it depends on who is the leader in that barangay and what they want to do with the barangay. 
So I would definitely say that all leaders, all people, the team, the community that works in the barangay need to prioritize nutritional governance with the aforementioned things I've said. All right. And on that note, we remind our listeners, uh, it's not really a global problem in the sense of, of course, people are being affected by it across the globe. But when it comes to solution to solving this global problem, we solve it in our localities, in our communities. And as the UN report has stated, um, it's all about also trying to um, control our appetites for food that is processed or for food that is just uh, served fast or fast food. Uh, we need to go local once again we need to cook our own food to grow our own food and this should even be part of the nutritional agenda of these local uh, governments in fact this would even reduce our carbon footprints and contribute to the reduction of global warming when you don't have to depend on food that gets transported to you from faraway places but have your own uh, grow your own food in your backyard grow your own food at the elementary school Okay, so uh, we're running out of time. So this has been Jason Bagia, and this is World Without End. We'll, s we'll listen to each other again next Thursday. Thank you, and good afternoon. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening.